This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg In the earth, Hashem placed in the earth a spiritual ability to grow. That's why the earth has the power to always regenerate. And by planting a seed, you arouse and awaken and signal to the earth to grow. It's a signal to tell the earth what to grow, because the earth can grow anything. Whatever you're going to put in there, the earth will grow. It grows every type of tree and every type of plant and every type of uh, um, vegetable and wheat, whatever you put in. But it's like a general ability by putting in a seed and the seed rots and becomes one with the earth it signals to the earth this is how you should channel your creative energy by creating if you plant a tomato seed it's gonna, it's gonna, the earth will grow tomatoes and it's inexhaustible so it's in the earth that Hashem it's this spiritual energy in the earth Hashem gave this ability in the earth to regenerate that has the ability to create to regenerate and to create and it's inexhaustible. It creates almost something from nothing. So where does this come from? Why only in the earth, which is not found in the spiritual? The spiritual does not have the ability to create something from nothing. Hashem only placed this ability in the lowest, in the bottom, in the earth. On the bottom of page 403, this is only because... This is so only because the feet of Adam Kadman culminate at the lowest level of Asiya. The feet, i.e. the last and lowest levels of Adam Kadman, the primordial thought that encompasses all the levels of creation, includes in the lowest degrees of the nethermost world, the world of Asiya, and specifically in the lowly element of earth within it. And below his feet, i.e. below the lowest levels of Adam Kadman, radiates the infinite Ein Sof light, which encircles, i.e. transcends, all worlds. At the very place at which there ceases the indwelling, divine illumination that permeates all the worlds, there begins the encompassing degree of divine light that transcends all the worlds. So the feet, so to speak, is placed on the ground. The feet is the end of this Adam Kadman, which is the primordial man, the primordial energy, the over... The, uh, this general energy which concludes in the earth the lowest element and then once you conclude the level of of this linear level which is like the human body which starts with the head and ends with the feet uh, the lowest level then you touch the circle the, all, the encompassing energy so it's like when you have a line in a circle. So the bottom, the end of the line, the end of the line touches the circle. The circle has no beginning and no middle and no end. 
So you, it's, it's only when you reach all the way at the end that you touch, you tap into this circle, you tap into the circle. So the spiritual is distant from the circle. Yet when you reach the bottom, the end, you're touching the circle. You're touching this transcendent energy. This So all the spiritual realms are distant from the circle, from the transcendent energy. Because it's, a, it's an indwelling energy. It's an energy which is invested and linear and compartmentalized. But when do you tap into this all-encompassing energy that transcends, that's, that's greater than some, that transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe, that's only when you reach the bottom. When you reach the end, that's when you tap into, that's when you touch this Seva Kalam and the level of Seva Kalam. So it's in the earth, when you reach the very end, the very bottom, that's when you unleash and that's when you tap into this creative energy which comes from Seva Kalam, which comes from the light, which is a reflection of Hashem, which is a reflection of Hashem's essence, and therefore it has this ability, conveys this ability to create. So in the physical, in the lowest, and within the physical itself, our world, within the lowest level of this world, in the level of earth, in the inanimate, there you find the greatest creative energy, the most powerful creative energy, the most profound energy. Completely counterintuitive. You never in a million years, why would I think that this powerful energy is to be found, to regenerate, renewable energy, this renewable ability to constantly renew and constantly create, and is to be found in the earth, the most unlikely of places. Because since that is the bottom, the bottom, the very bottom. So when you reach the very bottom, that's when you unleash, and that's when you tap into this energy of Sevakala, which has and conveys the ability, Hashem's ability to create. So it's only in the physical that you have the ability to create. Only through the physical. The spiritual not. The spiritual does not have the ability to create. The mazal, the angel, the angelic influence they could only amplify once you already created the blade of grass, once you already created the vegetation, they could amplify it and make it more ju- juicier and make it... But the, the, the essential act of creation, you won't find amongst the angels. The angels don't have the ability to create. Where do you find the ability to create? In the earthy. In the earthy, earthiest part of the earth. The earth, the very earth itself, has the ability to has divine ability, creative ability. Without any great interruption between them, except for the Igulam of Adam Kadman alone. The primordial thought of Adam Kadman consists of two modes of illumination, Yasha, literally straightness, i.e. a permeating mode, and the Igulam, literally circles, i.e. a transcendent mode where the former mode ceases and there remains only the latter, which is not absolute infinity, like the of light that transcends all worlds, there is found the absolutely infinite illumination of the of light that transcends all worlds. Right, so within Adam Kadman itself, which is the beginning of the worlds, you have two levels. You have the level of like Adam, which is like a person 
it's compartmentalized, you have different faculties, you have the brains, and you have the three brains, and you have the nose, and the eyes, and the ears, and you have the organs. And but then you have the all-encompassing light. In other words, where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Just like within the person himself. In the person himself, you have the general energy. You have the compartmentalized energy, the faculties which are compartmentalized to different organs in the body, but then you have the all-encompassing energy, the fact that every cell, all 100 trillion cells, is equally alive. You have the general energy. So the general energy, the whole, where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and it's all interlinked and interconnected. That's why the human organism is all interlinked and interconnected. There's a tremendous harmony and unity because it's all part of something larger than themselves, the liver, the heart, even though it's completely separate and apart and different from the, from the other organs. Every organ is so unique and as many organs are the exact opposite of each other and yet they're completely one because the heart and the liver and every kidney, every part of the, every organ of the body senses that I am part of something larger than myself. I am part of this organism called man. That's how we sense ourselves as one entity. We don't sense ourselves as a collection of parts and organs and uh, body parts. We're not a bag, it's a collection. We, we sense ourselves as one. That's the, the comes from this sense of the, where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. He calls that the igulim of ak. The, the, where it all comes together, where it's, it's all like a whole and everything is interrelated and interconnected. But that's the beginning of the world. That's the beginning of the whole, the whole energy of the person. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and all the parts interact and interrelate and interconnect. But you can't compare it to the infinite, the infinite light of Hashem. The infinite light of Hashem, which is a reflection of Hashem, which completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. So much so that in comparison to the infinite light of Hashem, Adam Kadman, the highest level of Adam Kadman, and the physical are equal. They're completely insignificant. They're absolutely equal. Even though there's such a distance, as far as you can get from the physical, from this world to the highest world, to so Adam Kadman, yet Hashem, it's all the same. Because, you know, a million, a billion, a zillion uh, is not one iota closer to infinity than one. There's no relation, no connection. Hashem completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. So Adam Kadman is the whole universe. Is, is, is the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's the, it's the sum total of everything in the whole, where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. Fine. But Hashem transcends the universe, period. Transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. That's the infinite light. So, when you reach the level of the Adam Kadman, with a line, with a linear level of Adam Kadman, you reach the bottom, so you touch the circle, the first circle is you touch the level of Adam Kadman where the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and there, every, they're all equal and they're all uh, connected. And that's where you also tap into the level of Sevakam, where Hashem completely transcends the infinite light, where Hashem completely transcends the whole universe. And that's where you find the ability to create. The ability to create something from nothing. Which is not part of this universe. This universe doesn't have the ability to create something from nothing. From the greatest level to the smallest level. 
Only Hashem has the power to create something from nothing. As he established earlier, only some, something that was not created, that has no beginning, could create something from nothing. What is something from nothing? Also, an entity that senses it has no beginning. That is the definition of creation. Something from nothing. So only Hashem has that power. The essence of Hashem. And that power is reflected in the infinite light of Hashem, which transcends all the worlds. And where is that infinite light found? More pronounced. And, and it's, it's present and is obvious and is operative and is functioning. Where do you see? Where is it activated? Where is it active? In the lowest level. When you reach the end, when you reach the very bottom, when you hit bottom, it's only when you hit bottom that suddenly you tap into and you activate the infinite level of Hashem that completely transcends the whole universe, including the level of Igulim of Ak beyond the whole frame of reference, of creation, of, of, of existence. And that unleashes the power to create. And that's why in the earth, the only the earth has this inexhaustible power, Hashem placed in the earth, this ability to create. Also the Kav of the ice of light, culminating at the end of the feet of Adam Kadman, radiates from below upwards in a mode of or Khazra, a reflected light. It's the bouncing light. It's the reflective light. The reflective light is very powerful. Where the end actually becomes uh, the beginning. becomes uh, the source. You bounce the ball off the wall. It comes back to you in full force. With the light, why it's warmer. The lower you get, the lowest spot on earth. In Yamamelech, the Dead Sea is the hottest spot. You would think it's the farthest away from the sun. The mountaintop, mountain peak is closer to the sun. It should be boiling hot. You're farther away from the sun, the lower part of the earth, and that's the hottest spot because it's the bouncing light. Space is dark. It's when the light bounces off the earth, that's when, that's when we see the light. So the end becomes the beginning. The end becomes a source, becomes powerful. Once it reaches the end, it means it's weaker and weaker and weaker. The light, the energy becomes weaker and weaker and weaker. And here's the opposite. That becomes the beginning and that becomes the new crown that bounces back. So, it's, um, so therefore it's also that intensity. Where do you find the intensity of the light? Where do you find the revelation of the light once it reaches the end? And what happens is it bounces back with such force. And that's why in the earth you have this, this creative ability. Continue. As mentioned above, this is a light that rebounds upward with increased intensity from a surface which blocks its further downward progress. Hence, for example, the atmosphere closest to the Earth's surface is warmer than the atmosphere in altitudes which are nearer to the sun. In the same way, when the beam of the cob, whose function is to infuse the inner reaches of all created beings with divine light, reaches the furthest stages of the divine thought, that encompasses all worlds and created beings. It bounces back with sharper impetus. It is now an orchaza. This is like the investment of the Kav in Arak Anten, Abba Anima, and Za and Rufa of Atzilut, which radiates as an orchaza from Malchut of Atzilut. 
and Malchut of Itzilot, if the spirit are considered from below upwards, is thus a category of Kesar, as mentioned earlier in this episode. And their beginning is wedged in their culmination. With regard to Malchut, this means that the beginning of Kesar, which is loftier than Kokma, is to be found within Malchut. With regard to the Kav, it means that the beginning of the Kav is wedged in the culmination of the feet of Adam Kadman, which ends in the nethermost level of the world of Asiya, in the element of earth. Since the purpose of the Kav is to reveal divinity, the element of earth best reveals that aspect of Hashem's infinity, which expresses itself in creating Yesh from Ayan, as the Alta Rebbe now concludes. The beginning is wedged in the, begin- in the end. So Malchus becomes the crown. The king wears the crown. The king is the very end, the lowest level, seemingly the most external level. And yet it wears the crown. Communication is king. Communication seems to be the end, the most external. And yet that reaches into the highest and that becomes king and wears the crown. And so too, the Kav, which is the divine illumination, which comes from the infinite light after the Tzimtzum. So Hashem uh, um, radiated a beam of light from the original infinite light in this space that the Tzimtzum created. So the purpose of the Kav is to reveal Hashem. But where is this revelation most intense? when it reaches all the way at the end, all the way at the bottom, all the way at the end, and that's when you see the ultimate revelation, which is the divine ability to create. That's the ultimate revelation. It's the ultimate divine expression, the ultimate divine creativity to create something from nothing. And where do you see that? At the very end, at the very bottom, which is in this world, in the physical world, and within the physical world, at the very end, and the bottom of the physical world, which is the earth, the power of earth. And the same is with humans. It's, it's the physical, the intimacy, the physical, that you see the ability to create. It's not the love, it's not the spiritual, it's in the physical, that we see this ability to create something from nothing. It is likewise at the culmination of the curve of the Ein Sof light, culminating at the ending of the Yosher of the feet of Adam Kadmon i.e., when the feet of the lowest levels of Adam Kadmon descend into the interior of the various levels all the way down to the very lowest level, the element of earth at the lowest level of Asiya, it, meaning the Kav, then radiates from below upwards, from the glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer that is found within the physical earth to the category of light of the neshama of the malchut of the malchut of asiya. This light, the or haneshama, is in fact the lowest level of spirituality within asiya. For asiya is the lowest of the worlds. Malchut is the final sphira within asiya, and of the ten component spherot that comprise malchut. Malchut of Malchut is the lowest. Nevertheless, since it is, after all, the light of the Neshama, it is actual divinity, as the Alter Rebbe now goes on to say. 
which is actual divinity originating in the chitzoniyut, the exterior aspect of the kelim of malchut of atzilut, which, as said above, becomes the light of the neshama of Briah, Yetzirah, and Asiyah. In this lowest level of light of the neshama, that which is in Asiyah, there is found the illumination of the final degrees of Asiyah, i.e., that which in created beings is the final level. And this enables the Ein Sof to reveal its capacity for creating Yesh from Ayin, as demonstrated in the above-described constant power of growth. According to the statement in Chapter 20 of Sefer HaGilgulim, cited in Likutea Marim, this radiation from the cub of the infinite Ains of Light vests itself first in the light of Atzilut in Asiya, and from there to the Bria and Yetzira in Asiya, and from them to the category of the light of the Neshama, of the Malchut, of the Malchut of Asiya. From this derived the creative power and force and the culmination of the Keli of the Malchut of Malchut of Asiya, the lowest degree and Sephira of Asiya within the element of Earth. This is the constant and everlasting effect throughout the Earth of the creative utterance let the earth bring forth herbs, this flat being the source of the power of vegetative growth. This is an expression of the Ein Sof, the fact that it's inexhaustible. Not only that a one time that it have the ability to create during creation, but up until this present day and forever and ever, earth has this regenerative power, inexhaustible power. We call it uh, renewable energy. It can always renew. It can always renew. It's never exhausted. That's an expression of being infinite. A, that it creates the act of growth, this creation, and the fact that it can grow and grow infinitely, infinite times. And it never exhausted. It's every other source of energy in this world is exhaustible. You know, up until a few years ago, they talked about peak oil, peak... <laughs> now the world is swimming in oil. I don't even know what to do with all the oil. So, of course, it's all nonsense. But, but everything in this world is finite. There's a limited amount of... So, you can talk about... It's, you're afraid. You're going to run out. You're going to run out of supply. You're going to run out of the minerals that you need. You're going to run out of the supply that you need. But, and that's why there was a shift to renewable energy, because you never run out. That's why it's renewable. It's not limited. I can use it a thousand times, I can grow. No, not a thousand, a million, infinite times. It always, it'll always grow. If you treat it properly, it'll always grow. So that's also how it's infinite. So it's infinity is expressed by the fact, the mere fact that it creates. You put a seed in the ground and something grows. That's an expression of the infinite. It's an act of creation, something from nothing. But also the fact that it's constantly renewable. It's inexhaustible. You never run out. It's as if, it's as if it never grew before. It's just as fresh and just as young and just as... It, it's never depleted. 
How is it possible? Everything in this world comes to an end. Everything dies. Everything grows weaker. Diminishes with time. You use it. You extract it. You're, you're, you're withdrawing. You're, you're withdrawing. So you're diminishing it. Diminishing the resource. You're using up the resource. Here you can't say, I'm using up the earth's ability to create. I better preserve it. Be careful. You never use it up. No matter how much will grow. You can grow and grow and grow and grow to the end of time. <laughs> That's an expression of the infinite. So it's in two, two parts. The fact that it creates something from nothing and the fact that it's inexhaustible. So you see something that's infinite, something that's inexhaustible. Where do you find in this world something that's infinite and inexhaustible? It doesn't exist. Everything in this world is finite. People live and die. Everything. Civilizations live and die. Even stars live and die. And yet in the earth you find something that's inexhaustible. It will never die. Amazing. That's, that's the infinite. That's an expression of the infinite. And who would believe? Where are you going to find the infinite? In the earth. In the earthiness. In the earth of earth. In the very earthiness of the earth. You'll find this expression. Revelation of this infinite. Inexhaustible ability. It's not depleted or diminished. One iota. Just as strong and just as powerful and just as capable as the very first time during the six days of creation that's the astonishing it will never be depleted in the earth there is a direct revelation of Hashem of His infinite ability it's absolutely inexhaustible if Hashem desired the earth will go on and on forever and ever the earth will create forever and ever Inexhaustible. A billion years, a trillion years, without diminishing one iota. This is astounding. You don't find that anywhere in the universe. A revelation of the infant, expression of the infant. And who would believe? And where are you going to find that? Where do you see that revelation? In the lowest of the low, in the earthiest of the earth. In the earth. Not only is the capacity for growth an instance of yesh mayayim and a result of Hashem's infinitude the same is true of its constant recurrence and not only during the six days of creation as with the fiat let the waters bring forth an abundance of creeping creatures and the fiat let the earth bring forth living beings ever since these one time creative utterances every living being derives from another and not exit nihilo from the earth or water these fiats derive from Kokma of the Malchut of the Malchut of the Sia. But during the seven days of the beginning, there's shown in this world a radiation from the infinite ions of life in a mode of gratuitous kindness, without any prior elevation of Mayan Nuklan at all. During those days, there was no spontaneous arousal initiated from the world below in the form of divine service on the part of the female or recipient element in order to elicit a reciprocal arousal from above. After these seven days, however, Hashem ordained that henceforth there must first be an arousal initiated from below. By virtue of the gratuitous and unearned 
divine kindness of those first seven days, each of the above quoted fiats, let the water bring forth and let the earth bring forth, effectively brought forth about an instance of creation ex nihilo of yesh from iron. So during the six days of creation, it wasn't just earth. Hashem said the water should, uh, should bring forth all the fish and the creatures in the water. And there were all creatures in the water. That's how the fish was suddenly created. Something from nothing. No precedent. Not evolution. It's a bunch of nonsense. Hashem created. Hashem said the water. Let there be creatures of water and there were creatures of water. Hashem said to the earth, let there be animals. And the earth gave forth animals. But when was the last time you saw an animal coming out of the earth? When was the last time you saw the water suddenly sprouting, giving birth to fish and to creatures in the water. It was a one-time thing that happened at, that happened during the six days of creation. It never happened again. Once you have fish, now fish give birth to eggs. Uh, the, uh, now you have animals. Animals give birth. But, but not from the earth. What's unique about what Hashem said on the third day, that the earth should sprout forth vegetation, this is unique because this didn't change till today. The earth retained its ability to sprout. Which is no less astonishing than the very first time the earth sprouted vegetation. It's an act of creation. No less astonishing than the water should sprout fish or animals should come out of the earth. That you plant a seed in the ground and from this seed the tree will grow. It's, it's, a, it's an astonishing act of creation. It makes absolutely no sense. How do you get from this tiny little seed? How do you end up with this huge tree? And this seed, by the way, has to rot first. You don't even have a seed by the time it's done. It's an act of creation. And that astonishing act of creation happens each and every time you plant. It's the most astounding thing. So th- when Hashem said in the earth that it should be, it should create so this was something that happened during creation. The whole world was created. It was an astonishing feat of creation. But that act of creation remains till today. We see it every time you plant and you, something grows from the ground. You see that act of creation. So that mimer, that utterance that Hashem said that he placed into the ground remains until this very day. And he said if the world would continue to exist, it wouldn't be diminished one iota. Not de- it's not um, depleted and it's not diminished and it's not weakened it's as strong as it is the first day of creation and the earth retains this power and it's visible it's active the fiat let the earth sprout forth by contrast operates constantly to make grasses and trees and fruits sprout ex nihilo into substantiality constantly year by year this constancy is a kind of infinity. For if this world were to resist for myriads of myriads of years, it would still sprout forth from year to year. That's he says wrong. year by year. He doesn't just mean only by year. It means forever and ever. There are, though, some plants, trees, and fruit that result from a prior elevation of mind movement, i.e. whose seeds serve as the above-mentioned arousal from below, 
which calls forth the power of vegetative growth within the earth, namely those which are sown and planted. There are spontaneous growth. There are, there are weeds and grass and things that just grow on their own without man's input, without his planting and sowing and, and uh, plowing. But, but he says even the part, which is the majority, that comes as a result of our input. In the beginning of creation, Hashem said that earth should grow and it grew. There was no rain, there was nothing, it grew. It, 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 Hashem said it should grow and, and it grew without planting or sowing, without any man, man's, without man's input, just like the rest of creation. It just happened, Hashem said, and the earth, uh, the earth just grew, caused it to grow. From that point on, now that Adam is created, Hashem says, now it's up to men. So we still have spontaneous growth, but then you have the growth, the majority of growth, which comes from men. We have to plow, we have to plant, and we have to and water it and take care of it. And, but even that, ultimately, we're, not even make, we're barely even making a contribution. It's not like the growth really is attributable to our efforts. It's almost as if our efforts has nothing to do with the result. There's no comparison. Whatever we do, it's like I plant a seed and what comes out is a thousandfold. It's like you invest a dollar and next thing you know it, you have a million dollars. I mean, it's, what? It's, not, it's not even commensurate to my effort. You can't even delude yourself that I had anything to do with it. Yes, we have to work today. Yes, we have to plant and we have to water and we have to, we have to plow and we have to farm and we have to do what we need to do. But don't for a moment think that we have anything to do with the result when the results are so beyond our efforts. And that's what he explains now. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, these two are like Yeshmeayan. Are like something from nothing. So the planted seed is of no estimation whatever in relation to the fruit, nor in re- relation to the whole tree with the branches and leaves. Whereas the difference between the fruit and its source in the kernel is mainly qualitative, as in the taste, for example. The difference between the kernel and the resultant tree is more quantitative. By both of these criteria, then, the growth of a tree from a seed possesses an element of yesh mayayin. The same applies to the various species of seeds and vegetables and to the various species of grain. That hundreds of kernels should come into being from a single kernel resembles mayayin. And how much more so with respect to their straw and spikes, which are so much more different from the parent kernel, and thus even more conspicuously come into being as if from nothing. In the tree, you see it even more so both quantitatively wise and qualitatively wise. How could you compare the seed to the tree, physical tree, but how did also more so you see it qualitatively wise? How did you get from a seed, you get a, a, a fruit, a juicy fruit? <laughs> What's the connection? Okay, I can see the tree, the bark of the tree, the tree, a uh, seed, but of course it's much bigger, the tree is so much greater, so you can't compare a tiny little seed to the result, this huge, gigantic tree from this tiny little seed. So that's quantitatively wise. It's like something from nothing. My effort, my investment, and the result is, is you know, <laughs> it's like one of our politicians running for office. Uh, she, overnight she makes a million dollars. 
she invests a dollar and walks away with a million dollars, you know, miraculously. You know, so it's like a miracle. How do you, <laughs> I put a seed in, I get this huge tree, but also qualitatively wise, that from a seed you get a, a fruit. Where do you get fruits from a seed? A juicy and nutritious fruit. But even in, in, in vegetables or in uh, grains, so I plant a seed and then I walk away with a stalk that has hundreds of seeds. So again, it's almost something from nothing. It's not commensurate to my investment. Which investment in the world do you put in one thing and you walk away with hundreds of thousands of percentages more? You put in a dollar and you walk away with a thousand dollars. Where? Find me that investment. Where in this world do you find such an investment? Unless you're a politician. Where do you find such an investment? You put in a seed and you walk away with hundreds of times more than you put in. I mean, that's a miracle. That's something from nothing. Can I say that my investment, my work, my effort had anything to do with... That's nothing to do with... It's not within my capacity. No matter what I'll do, it's not within my capacity. If I plant it on my kitchen table and I'll water it and I'll make sure the sun, the sun shines, nothing will grow. And you put it in the ground. And also, I put in a seed. Okay, so I get back seeds many, many times. Hundreds of kernels from one little seed. From one kernel. But where do you get the straw and the, and the spikes and, which are different than the seed? So, you see, the whole thing is really something from nothing. It's, it's the ground, it's the earth that has this ability to create that Hashem placed in the earth, this ability to regenerate and renew and create and, and you know, it has nothing to do with us. We just, we just have to do a little and then the earth takes care of, of everything else. We just have to arouse the earth or awaken the earth or, or channel the earth, the earth's ability to create. You have to channel it I put in a grape seed, so I'm going, to get, I'm going to get a vine, a vineyard. I'm going to put in a tomato seed, I'm going to get tomatoes. But the ability to create is from the earth. Nothing to do with us. Now these fruits, they grow by means of an elevation of my nookman, i.e. by sowing and planting, are far, far superior to those that come up independently, only from the vegetative property in the soil. And from this we will be able to understand the concept of the elicitation of the supernal aura, the divine illuminations that are drawn down in the worlds of the Sila, Riya, Tzira, and Asiya. The lights that are drawn down to this world in response to men's divine service surpass by far the lights that are granted through an arousal from above as an unearned gift, which is the ultimate purpose for the creation of man, as explained elsewhere. This, what he, this that he adds that there is spontaneous growth and then you have the growth that comes through our efforts and he says you can't compare the quality of the yield the quality of the produce the quality of the fruits that come as a result of our efforts to the, those that grow spontaneously so this is to emphasize the point of the letter and the analogy it's trying to bring that um, that the power of the deeds that we do when we arouse Hashem and the fruits and the mitzvot and the physical acts that we do in this world 
the seeds that we plant. What are the seeds that we plant? When you do a mitzvah, it's like planting a seed. That's why the Torah says that the Jewish people, Hashem says, you're, you're my earth, you're my, you're my ground in which when you plant a, a seed, something will grow. If you plant a seed in the desert, nothing happens. When you plant a seed in fertile ground, something will grow. So the mitzvahs that we do are compared to seeds. We are the fertile ground. Because the Jewish people has a piece of the divine essence and we have that ability to sacrifice ourselves for Hashem. We have that godly ability, godly essence. And therefore, when we put on the tefillin, if a non-Jew puts on tefillin, nothing happens. It's putting on leather hide of an animal on his skin. Nothing will happen. When a Jew puts on tefillin, it creates a nuclear explosion. It's like planting a seed in fertile ground. So even though it's just a seed, I did a physical act, a seemingly insignificant act. I put on tefillin. What's the big deal? I gave a penny to tzedakah. I wrote a check. It's just a physical act, a limited, finite, limited act. But this is the analogy. It's like planting a seed. The repercussions of this act, it's infinite. There's no comparison. It's not commensurate to your act. It's like infinite. I put in a seed and I walk away. I, I get this huge, gigantic tree, which is, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's an infinite act. It's an act that's beyond anything that I have done. The implications, the repercussions of my act, it, it stirs up and unleashes a creative energy that's way beyond anything that I have done. So when we do a mitzvah in this world, when we do the 613 mitzvah, the implications, the repercussions, it's beyond anything we can imagine. It's like you're pressing a button. The, 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 the NASA scientist is sitting in, in Texas and pressing a button and, and the rockets, rocket ships are flying and things are happening from a press of a button. I plant a seed. And look what it unleashes unleashes this infinite reveals this infinite and activates this infinite energy, this infinite ability to create so when you do a mitzvah in this world, even though it appears to be so small it's much more powerful the infinite energy the godly energy that's unleashed is much more powerful than the revelations that Hashem unleashes and reveals on His own there's revelations that Hashem reveals in the zone. Hashem awakens us, stirs us up. When he sees we're asleep. We're sleeping at the wheel. We're about to fall off the cliff. Hashem's infinite mercy wakes us up, sends us godly revelations, stirs up our soul. But you can't compare those revelations that come from Hashem, spontaneously that come from Hashem. You can't compare that to the revelations that come as, as a result of our effort of our deeds, of our actions. When, it, when it's mitzvah, the fruits, mitzvah compared to fruits, when we plant and we see and we plant this and, and we plow and we sow and we, and we water and then we, we do our act, we do the mitzvah, it unleashes the results, the fruits, the results are so superior and so much more profound and deeper and much more powerful revelations that are stirred up in the revelations that are activated as a result of our mitzvot 
it's, it's, it's infinite by comparison. The repercussions, the implications are beyond our comprehension. When we do a mitzvah in this world, the divine unifications that happen as a result in the divine world of emanation, and all the way reaches to the infinite, reaches to Hashem Himself. And it unleashes such powerful divine revelations and creative energies. And so this is the analogy. That's the point that he's trying to lead to. It's not about farming and agriculture. It's, uh, especially for us city people, it's more how this applies in our personal lives now. It applies to our service of Hashem to realize the power of the physical, of the deed, of the mitzvah. It's like planting a seed. Don't underestimate. Don't think, ah, what's the big deal? I did a mitzvah. It's a simple act. It took me a minute. I did it. This is why he's bringing this in. This is why he's telling us that the, that the, the fruits that come as a result of, of our actions are richer and, and superior the growth that happens spontaneously and why that's relevant to our discussion because it's relevant to the whole point of this letter of this essay, this letter which is the value and the importance and how precious it is our actions and our deeds and the physical and the here and now and the specific and the concrete using our bodies, our hands and doing the mitzvah and physically doing the mitzvah and the physical aspect of the mitzvah how, that, how that's like planting the seed, which is this little tiny act has such powerful repercussions, activates such powerful energies, powerful forces, which can only come about through our action. So we are the ones who stir. We are the ones who evoke. Yes, it comes from Hashem. Only Hashem has the power to create. So it's a purely divine it's a purely divine activity. To unleash its powerful energies to create, it's clearly divine. Especially after he explains it at great length, and we learned it earlier in the in the previous uh, letter, the power of agriculture, how a Jew is astonished and sees the hand of Hashem and sees the miracle, as he just explained, that this is the equivalent of the miracle of creation during the six days of creation. But during six days of creation, the whole world was created miraculously. Hashem said the water should sprout, should give, should, uh, should sprout uh, all these living creatures, and suddenly you had fish in the water. The earth suddenly sprouted all these animals. But that was a one-time deal, finished. But the very act of creation, Hashem said on the third day that the world should grow, and that's why the third day is twice kitoiv, twice double kitoiv. That maimer, that utterance, is active until this very day. It hasn't diminished one iota. So every time you plant and you sow, it's a, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's an act of creation. It's like you have a front seat. You have a front row seat at creation. That's why Jews are astonished. We see creative agriculture. We go crazy. This is a miraculous. This is the act. We see the revelation of Hashem, of the infinite. The fact that it's something from nothing, from a little tiny seed, you end up with this huge tree. And the fact that you can, it's renewable. You can always regenerate. It's inexhaustible. And this can go on forever and ever. As long as the earth exists, it'll have the power, like on day one. 
You don't have to re- fully recharge, ready to go. So a Jew sees in this the most astonishing, miraculous thing. So it's divine. So if it's all about the divine, where do we come in? So he says, no. We are the ones who instigate it. We are the ones who activate it. We are the ones who stir it up. So yes, we're stirring up the divine. But we have to stir up the divine. We are a key and essential ingredient. It's only when we plan. That's what changed from creation and today. During creation, Hashem did it on His own. It was a grace from above. From when Adam was created, from this point on, it's up to us. So although this divine energy is fully revealed and active, just like during the Tuesday, the, first, the third day of creation, but nevertheless... Now it's up to us. We play an essential role. When we add that ingredient of the human interaction and we physically plant this seed and we plow the field and plant the seed, you can't compare the qualitative superiority of that fruit to those that grow spontaneously. So too, it's our physical mitzvah that's an essential ingredient that activates this powerful, profound, divine revelation. So yes, it's purely divine, and it's almost as if there's no human fingerprints, because it's not commensurate. I put on tefillin and all of these things happen. I light a Shabbos candle, all these wonderful things happen. I gave a penny to tzedakah, and all of a sudden the whole universe has changed. All the letters of the Alter Rebbe, almost all the letters are about the power of tzedakah, the physical act of tzedakah. I gave a penny to Tzedakah and all these wonderful, powerful things happen. Yes. So it's almost as if there's no human fingerprints to it. They have nothing to do with it. It's like divine. Yes, but who activates it? We are the ones who activate it. We are the ones who arouse, evoke this response. We stir up this response. So we are an essential ingredient. That's how what we do is so precious. We are an essential part of this whole drama, of this whole act of creation. We are the ones who activate and unleash this powerful revelation. So we play a key role, a central role. We have to value, value what we do and value how important it is and value what a role we play, an essential role we play in this whole, this whole drama. So much of Hashem is waiting for our action. He can't do it without us. Yes, he did it without us during creation. And even then he consulted with us. That's why Jews are consultants. Because we're the ultimate consultants. God consulted us whether he should create the world. And, and, and we motivated him to create the world. But he did it on his own. But from when Adam was created, now it's up to us. And now Hashem is waiting for us and yearning for us to fulfill our play our essential role. And it's our mitzvah that's planting the seeds that activate and unleash this powerful, divine, creative energy. And from this, from the earlier explanation of the paradox of Orchaza, whereby it is specifically in the lowest level of Asiya, that the light of Soviet called Almond and the light of the Kav rebound most intensely, we can clearly understand the subject of the order of the levels of created beings the inorganic, the vegetative, the animal, and the articulate being, i.e. man, 
which correspond to and are expressed within the composition of all created beings as the elements of earth, water, fire, and air. But though the animal level is higher than the vegetative level and the artic articulate being is higher than the animal, nevertheless the animal is nourished and lives by the vegetative and the articulate being receives his vitality from okay, the Okay, so here he's touching a very, very fascinating idea. And we see that in halacha, in the Jewish blessings. When you have a choice of food items that you're eating first, which blessing do you make first? There's a hierarchy. First you make a moiti of the bread, that goes, that goes the highest, you know, that's, that includes everything else, right? Then you make a blessing over the wine, a goffin. Uh, um, then you make over the fruits, especially the fruits that Israel is blessed, and then you make over the vegetables. Uh, I'm sorry, you have cake, mizonot, you have uh, mizonot, comes from the five species, the grains. Then you have the, uh, the fruits that Israel is blessed, and you have the vegetables. So you have Baripriates, then comes Baripriat. So you have Hamotzi, Mizonot, Hagofen, Haetz, Hadama. And what's last, the end, the lowest? Shahakal Niyabudvare. Now, what do you make a blessing on uh, when you eat meat? What blessing do you make? Shahakal Niyabudvare. When you eat a fruit, you make Baripriates, you eat a vegetable, Baripriadama. So the fruit and the vegetable comes first, comes before the shahakal. But an animal is a higher form of life. It makes no sense. Okay, water I can understand. Water is, is, is inorganic. So I'm, I'm drinking water, I make a shahakal. But you make a shahakal on everything. Everything other than fruits and vegetables. So I'm eating an animal, a kosher animal. The animal is a higher form of life than the fruits and the vegetables. And that's the lowest blessing. And the fruit comes, the vegetable comes first, and I mean the fruit comes first, and the vegetable. And the grains, the five grains, that comes, that precedes the animal. Makes no sense. There's a hierarchy. First comes man, then comes the animal life, then comes organic life, then comes the inorganic. So how do you say in halacha that the animal life is lower than the organic life? What's going on here? So the only way to explain it is what the Rebbe says right now. Everything that we learned till now will help us understand. The end is higher. The end is rooted in the beginning. So the end is higher. It's the bouncing light. That's why you see the lower something is, it really means it's higher. It comes from a much more intense energy. It means it's closer to the source. It's much higher. Much deeper in the source. He says, and where do you see that? You see that animals need the vegetables and the, the, the organic life to sustain it, to nourish it. So it's dependent on seemingly a lower form of life. Why is something higher, a higher form of life, dependent on a lower form of life? Because the lower form of life is really higher. It's not the way it appears to be. What's lower is really rooted in the higher. So therefore, it's all the way on the bottom. Animal life is all the way on the bottom. And blessings over the grains and the fruits and the vegetables come earlier. Precede it, it's higher. Nevertheless, the animal is nourished and lives by the vegetative, and the articulate being receives the vitality from them both, and even wisdom and knowledge. For as the Gemara states, a child does not know how to call father and mother until it has tasted grain. Right, until the child is weaned and is old enough that it can eat, it can eat the grain. 
that gives the child the, the strength, it develops its brain, and its brain matures enough that it can say mother and father. Up until that point, it can't speak, it can't, even though it could be aware, but it, some children are very aware, even very young, but they can't speak yet. When do they begin to speak? Only when they um, could start eating grain, when they're weaned and they're no longer nursing and they start eating grain, that strengthens them and that gives them, helps their brain develop and mature enough so they can start calling mother and father. So you see that a human being is dependent, even though a human being is superior to the animal, let alone the organic life, but until he eats the organic life, he's underdeveloped, so he, we are dependent on the organic to sustain us, to nourish us, and to help us develop, and to help us mature. And then the Gemara says, It is likewise written, I had not yet eaten the meat of oxen. This we already learned in chapter 7 in the first part of the Tanya. That Rab Nachman said to Rava, he said, the reason I didn't answer you, I didn't know the answer, because yesterday, because I didn't eat my steak yet. I didn't eat my meat, I didn't eat my steak. All vegetarians, notwithstanding, with all due respect, he says, I didn't eat my meat, I didn't eat my steak, it didn't, my mind didn't have the strength, I didn't have the strength and the clarity of mind, because it nourishes us, it gives us strength. Food nourishes us, food strengthens us. So when you eat a juicy piece of meat, it, it strengthens you and it gives you the strength and the, it gives you mind, the clarity and the ability to be able to understand. So we are dependent on what it appears to be a lower form of life. So it's a higher energy. Absolutely. That, that, that's what he's going to explain. That's what he's saying. It's a higher energy. This was the explanation which Rav Nachman gave to Rava as to why the previous evening he had been unable to give the better answer to his query that he, had, that he had now given. Thus we see that the meat of a mere animal is able to stimulate the mind of man. The key to this paradox, whereby the animal kingdom is nourished by the inferior vegetative kingdom, and man needs both of these inferior orders of creation, has been explained above. For this is an instance of Orchaza, the light that is reflected from the lower levels to the higher from the lowest level of Asiya, where there is an exceedingly strong manifestation of the radiation of the radiation and so on, of the glimmer of a glimmer of a glimmer that is found within the physical earth, from the infinite of light that encircles all worlds, i.e. from the degree of Soviv Kol Alman that transcends all worlds equally, and from the Kav, from the of light at the culmination of the feet of the Yashar of Adam Kadman, the final level of the internalized illumination that is found in all worlds. This illumination shines there in a mode of Orchazer as stated above. From the light, the light bouncing back, a light reverting back, that is why it is closer. The lower level is actually closer and more deeply rooted in the more powerful light and taps into the much more intense energy. That's why, yes, the animals have a much greater energy than man. Animals are able to do things that man can't. We have to harness them. And by harnessing them, we can do things and accomplish things and get places we can never do on our own. We simply don't have the strength. So why do they have that tremendous strength and the tremendous uh, abilities that we don't have? It's because the lower, the lower you get, you're actually tapping into a much more intense energy. Today, all the intelligence, all the silicon chips are made from Earth. 
the lower you get, the more potential it has, tremendous potential it has. <laughs> so today, we, today we're revealing it. Today you're revealing that the lower you get, the tremendous energy and tremendous ability that you have, it's way beyond anything. So much so today, uh, we're in the verge where computers may soon surpass people. You know, in abilities and uh, super intelligence and, you know, these are all computer chips made of Earth. So the, um, the lower something is, really, the higher it is. So in the hierarchical world, in the, in the hierarchy, man is on top. Man is the king on top. Of the, and then comes the animal life. And then comes the organic life, the inorganic. But when you look at it from the inner, the, the energy that bounces back and the energy that taps into the infinite, the lower you get, that's the closest you are to the raw truth, the closest you are to that infinite light. And, it, and it's revealed there and it's activated there. So therefore, the animal life and the vegetable life, which is closer, lower down, but it means closer to the source, closer to the earth and closer to the, the bottom, is really more intense. The energy is much more intense, much more powerful. And therefore, man, in that sense, is weak and dependent and needs the nourishment of those that are lower than it. That's why we're not self-sufficient, self-sustaining. Why shouldn't man be self-sufficient and self-sustaining? We are on top, we are the kings. We're, why should we be so weak and vulnerable that we need, we depend on a lower species for our survival? It's because there's a powerful energy that's found in the lower species that's even more intense than the energy that we, we have. And therefore we are dependent on the lower species. And that gives us strength and, 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 um, and stimulates us and helps us develop and energizes us and nourishes us and sustains us. One. To enable one to gain a reasoned understanding how it is that the supernal angels of the Merkava, the celestial chariot, namely the face of the oxen and the face of the eagle, derive great enjoyment and are nourished and content from the spirit of the cattle and fowl that ascends to them from the sacrifices on the altar. The phrase, et my sacrifice, the, brave, the bread of my burnt offering, may be understood on a non-literal level to mean that the sacrifices provide sustenance for God's fires, i.e. for the angels. Right, so the Torah says that the sacrifices are the meal, are the bread that sustains my fire. So the Torah is hinting at, is referring to my fire, Hashem's fire refers to his angels, his fiery angels, spirits, spiritual angels, beings. What's their bread? What's their nourishment? What sustains them? It's the sacrifice. Because when you offer a sacrifice in this world, the physical animal that's being offered on the altar, so the spirit of the animal, by offering the physical animal on the altar, the spirit of the animal reverberates back to its source. What's the source of the, of the soul of the animal, the spirit of the animal? The angels above, which are also called the animals, the angels above. That's the source of the 
life force of the physical animal, the soul of the physical animal. So by offering the sacrifice, the physical animal on the, sa- on the altar, the energy reverberates back and intensifies and bounces back to its original source and it nourishes and it stimulates and it, it sustains and the, uh, its source, which, uh, which are the angels. As the Holy Zohar expresses it precisely, they derive enjoyment from their element and essence. The spiritual root, as opposed to the animal component, of the sacrifices is reflected back to its angelic source in a mode of or choser. Hierarchically, the animal is at the end, and the bottom. It's the end, 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 a chain of evolvement, the end, end, evolvement, evolution of the original energy which originates in the angelic heavenly beings and then it evolves and it descends and it comes into the form of an animal. And here the animal becomes a source and the source and the root and the foundation for for the angels. Because this is the bouncing light where everything is reverted upside down. The bottom becomes the beginning. The bottom becomes the source of creativity, the source of energy, the source that bounces back and reflects back onto the angels. Exact opposite. And that's why we are really in the driver's seat and all this in heaven, they really depend on us. They really are waiting for our input, for our... Because whatever we do in this world reverberates back and all the upper worlds and all the higher beings are nourished and sustained through our actions, through our deeds in this world. And now we come to the climax of the letter, the conclusion of the letter, the whole point of this letter that Alter Rebbe is trying to bring out in this letter that he wrote literally a few days before his passing. And uh, Jeff, I want to finish now after these words. These words in this truth. Knowledge comes easily to the discerning. To understand through all the above the sublime work of the practical commandments, those performed with physical objects and with man's physicality. For these commandments are the ultimate purpose for the descent of souls to this physical world. As it is written, today is the time to do them. I.e. specifically today, in this world of action, are we provided with the opportunity to perform mitzvah with physical objects whose creation came about from Hashem's very essence and which contain the concealed power of His very being. By performing mitzvot with these objects to be released this concealed power. It is likewise written, better one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than all the life of the world to come. At this point, the first publishers of the year, HaKodesh, wrote, until here, we have we found. I'm sorry. Right, it wasn't, it wasn't finished. It wasn't, the letter wasn't finished. This is where today, this is the time to do them. Today, meaning in this world, of action that we live in today, in this physical world and this material world, where godliness is hidden and concealed, or in the physical world with the physical body, and um, because there will be a world in which, as the Talmud says, in the world as we know it will be destroyed. The world as we know it will, will no longer be physical. It will be, will be, you know the divine and godly the godly will be transparent and obvious but um, in this world in the world 
which senses that it's something, a world of ego, a world in which we very much sense ourselves as separate from Hashem. And it's in this world where Hashem's creative ability to create something from nothing, only Hashem could create such an entity, an entity that senses that it's separate and apart and independent and self-sufficient. And it's only in this physical, material, coarse, crass world, and it's in this world when we do the mitzvah physically with a physical object, and we do the mitzvah with our physical hands and limbs, and we physically do the mitzvah in this setting, in the circumstance that we find ourselves in this physical world as it is today, this world, this is the whole purpose of creation. This is the ultimate revelation of Hashem's essence. And that's why the soul comes down into this world. Because the soul in heaven only taps into the indwelling light, the light of a malakalama, which is limited, in order for the soul to tap into and to touch the divine, to touch the infinite, and to touch the transcendent light, and ultimately to touch the essence of Hashem, to come in contact with the essence of Hashem, the soul has to come down into this world. It's only in this world that we touch the essence of Hashem. And it's the simplicity of the simple act, the physical act that cuts through all the fluff and all the embellishments and gets straight to the essence, cuts through and touches the simplicity of the essence of Hashem. So when the simple Jew does a simple mitzvah, when every one of us does, the most complex Jew does the mitzvah simply. We do the mitzvah physically. Do the mitzvah. And we do it. And we do it with that simple faith. And we do it knowing that this mitzvah touches and ignites and uh, unleashes and touches and activates the very core and essence of Hashem and reveals the very essence of Hashem. This is the whole purpose of the soul coming down into this world. It makes it all worthwhile and uh, it justifies this journey because for the soul it's a very painful journey for the soul to come into this world it's, it's, it's filled with anguish it's, uh, it's, it's from the peak to the abyss the soul is tremendously existential angst for the soul to come down into this world and the soul feels this pain and it never lets up for a moment. soul never gets used to it. A person can live 70, 80, 120 years, and every day the soul is in pain, tremendous anguish. What am I doing here? I don't belong here. I belong in heaven, in the heavenly palace, in the div- heavenly bliss. What am I doing in this dark, coarse, crass, material, physical world? But when you realize that the soul came down into this world, the opportunity that we have here, the in order just to do the physical mitzvah, to physically do the mitzvah, and there's nothing in the world that can compare to physically doing the mitzvah and with my limbs and with the physical objects. And this is how we touch Hashem. and touch. You can't do enough mitzvah. Every mitzvah is an opportunity. Every moment is an opportunity. Then instead of kvetching and complaining and feeling sorry and feeling sad, you realize the tremendous gift that Hashem gave us and you do it you, we, we live our Judaism with such joy and such passion every day we make sure to do a mitzvah every day we make sure to do something Jewish to think Jewish, speak Jewish, act Jewish most importantly to act Jewish and do a physical activity a Jewish activity a physical Jewish activity light the Shabbat candle, do, put on the tefillin give tzedakah every day of our lives 
And we do it with such joy and such relish and such gratefulness and thankfulness to Hashem that He gave us this tremendous opportunity. And thank you, Hashem, for making me Jewish. And thank you, Hashem, for giving me the Torah and for giving me the mitzvot. Most importantly, for giving me the mitzvot and doing it with such enthusiasm and passion and excitement. That's why one moment in this world is worth more than all the world to come put together. What a golden opportunity. We're living in the best of times. Despite all the news and despite all the bad news and despite all the negativity around us, we are living in the best of times. It's in this world which is so egotistical and arrogant and crass and coarse and ridiculous and absurd, but in this world we have the greatest, greatest opportunity. This is only Hashem who has no beginning could create a world that also senses it has no beginning that could be so egotistical and sense itself to be so separate and self-sufficient so this is where we come to face face to face with the essence of Hashem this is the greatest opportunity so like a wise businessman take advantage but don't, don't, don't be taken in by the negativity on the contrary realize how precious it is and utilize every waking moment and utilize every option that Hashem gave us and every opportunity that Hashem gave us do another mitzvah and another mitzvah and another mitzvah and to you know a Jew looks at this world you know, imagine being dropped off at Bergman and uh, what's that big department Bergdorf Goodman sorry excuse my ignorance uh, you, can, you can you have 24 hours to grab whatever you want you come with suitcases you load yourself up <laughs> You know, you use every waking moment to grab as many mitzvot as possible. We look at this world and what a special, what a special place, what a opportunity that Hashem gave us. So this letter, Dal Rebbe wrote right before he made the transition to his eternal rest in heaven. Dal Rebbe wrote at great length the value of this world this life and we have to treasure every moment of life every moment of existence and that's why Jews celebrate life and we love life and we have to do everything in our power to sustain life because that's where it's at it's all about life in the here and now in this world in the physical we have to be healthy and we have to cherish our our physical well-being and take care of our physical well-being and make sure that we have the opportunity serve Hashem joyfully and to serve Hashem physically and bodily another mitzvah, another act of tzedakah and um, this forever changed our point of view our perspective and gave us a whole new way to look at this world and look at this life so this is a uh, before the Alter Rebbe wrote this letter you can see, we can divide all of history before the Alter Rebbe wrote this letter and after he wrote this letter how classically, how the Jews looked at this world classically. It's a very dark place. It's a very negative place. And after the Alter Rebbe wrote this letter, it's like we put on divine glasses and we see a different world. It's color. It's light. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's so much rich with opportunities. Rich with options. It's, it's, it's infinite. We can plant all these seeds. And we realize that's exactly what our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, our ancestors have been doing for 3,800 years. 
been planting seeds and more seeds and any moment all those seeds will come to fruition and all those seeds have taken root and will flourish into this garden of Eden will transform this world into the garden of Eden that it once was and then again at Mount Sinai it was once again at Mount Sinai temporarily and inevitably will be and imminently will be at any moment and uh, letter number 21 we'll hear next week please God and the Rebbe himself this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project more classes available at LessonsInTanya.com